0: Welcome to Third Floor Views, where we, at Chesapeake Family Life, talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. This podcast episode is sponsored by Annapolis Pediatrics. Today, we are talking about kids and stress. Stress is everywhere in our adult lives, but it is everywhere in our kids' lives, too. As parents, how do we know what is normal and healthy versus when we should be concerned about our kids' stress? What are some tools we can use to help our kids become more resilient? And when should we seek professional help to help manage the stress in our kids' lives? Our guest today is Erin Murley, certified pediatric nurse practitioner and pediatric mental health specialist from Annapolis Pediatrics. Erin has been in pediatrics for over 16 years. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to talk about kids and stress because it's something I think that we don't always think about in kids, that we think about a lot with adults. I'm stressed. My day is stressful. My work is stressful, but I don't always think about the stress in my child's life. But it's something that all kids experience. So I guess my first question is, are we really talking about babies to teenagers or what, what are we talking about in terms of stress and ages and stages?
1: Absolutely. So um, so as kids um, grow and develop, they're building different skills to get through different developmental stages. So you think back to, to infancy and they're learning how to um, know when a parent is going to be attentive to their needs. So they cry and they fuss. Um, and we as parents, our job is to pick them up and, and handle their needs. That is stressful for them and quite honestly stressful for the parents too as they're uh, going through that developmental stage. And then our toddlers are, are are learning how to start being a little bit independent and with that comes a, a typical um, development of some fear. So fear that they're going to be without their parent, or fear that they might get lost. Um, our preschoolers, they're developing this big, beautiful brain that's uh, full of imagination. Um, and with that comes fear of monsters, fear of the dark. Um, and there are some ways that we can utilize that that developing skill of, um, of independence and imagination to help them through that fear. And the key word here is through the fear. Not around it or avoiding it, but through that fear. Our, our school-aged kids um, start um, becoming more comfortable with increasing academics, um, so increasing demands of academics. And with that comes a certain level of fear of failure. So you can sometimes see in kids developing this uh, fear of trying something hard because they become fearful that they may quote-unquote fail at that particular um, task. And our middle schoolers, those really important friendships that they're starting to develop. With that comes a fear of rejection. And um, so we need to help them figure out how to conflict how to deal with conflict resolution and how to deal with developing these very intense relationships so as you can see with each age group fears come naturally and fears and worries and stress are all a part of developing a new skill skill set so development and um, appropriate fears are, are tied in together and it's um, it should be expected that there are going to be periods where kids are stressed and our job as parents are really to, to model appropriate behavior for handling um, stresses um, and guide them, not problem-solve for them, but guide them through these developmental steps um, and fears and worries. And also normalize, um, so to talk with them about times when we are scared or we are worried or we feel stressed, what do we do in those situations? Because we don't want them to avoid, we want them to move through.
0: So stress is totally normal and a a great part of development. So it is good. Stress can be good in kids. Is that what I'm hearing? It is. So a certain level
1: of stress. And we'll talk a little bit about when stress is not good or when it is when kids are having difficulty developing those coping skills. But I like to think about stress. There's a saying that stress is the force that turns rocks into diamonds. And it really is um, that that particular force in a kid's life that helps them go from not having a skill set to developing that skill set. So it's a key tenant um, in resilience building so that I can't, as I start out with a with a um, particular, type of uh, situation, such as conflict resolution. At first, I don't have the skills, but as I learn and as I practice and I, I adapt to the situation and I grow through that that stressful situation, I then develop and acquire that skill set to then meet that particular situation as I, as I encounter it Further on in life, so stress is good. If you think about sort of the stress productivity, if you think about a bell curve, so stress is um, is on the x-axis, so it's it's along the bottom um, as different situations become more stressful they learn how to be more productive in that situation but there is a tipping point so at the top of that bell curve if things are too stressful so they're encountering um, more stress than they're able to handle or they don't have sufficient coping skills to work on developing that tool set, then you can see anger and um, kids that are shutting down or kids that are, are starting to become avoidant. So, so stress is important, but it's important to also identify when kids are stressed and help them develop those coping skills to move through that situation
0: so what are some tools that parents can use to help them through these normal developmental periods and it's definitely going to be different you know whether you're dealing with a toddler versus a teenager but in general i'm hearing that we want our kids to struggle and that's a good thing and that's where they're going to be able to become fully fledged adults that can handle problems beautifully but how can we as parents help our kids go through that struggle and finding that balance between wanting to jump in and solve the problem for them, but then also making sure we we are there to support them and not just let them continually fall flat on their faces.
1: Absolutely. I think there are a lot of things that we as parents can do. So first and foremost is modeling effective coping strategies. So, you know, we may come home from a really um, tough day at work and, you know, just want to kind of vent and, and complain about how difficult that that day was. Um, I think it's important to to let our kids know, hey, this day was, was really tough for me. Here are some of the challenges that I experienced, and here are some of the good things that that I learned how to do uh, for myself. I'll tell you, I um, do not like yellow jackets. Um, as a matter of fact, I internally will really freak out anytime I see <laughs> um, I see yellow jackets. So it could go in the direction where I avoid picnics and crab feasts and things like that. But instead, I'm very honest with my kids that I am fearful of of um, these flying demons (laughs) and I tell them what my strategy is going to be. Okay, so when we go on this picnic, what I plan to do is keep our food covered. If I see a yellow jacket, I'm going to calmly back away. Uh, You may see me taking some deep breaths as I re-engage in the, the picnic, but I think it's important to talk with them about my own struggles with things that I'm fearful of. Additionally, we do a lot of talking about bravery. Bravery is not the absence of being afraid. It's the ability to acknowledge that I'm afraid of something and figure out the tools that I need to move through that particular situation. So for instance, when my six-year-old was learning how to to dive off of the high dive, she was fearful. I and that's a normal feeling. This is a this is a high, you know, high dive and you know and it's it's pretty far up. So what we talked about was, hey, I believe in you. I think that you can do it. When you are ready to do it, go ahead and try and then we will celebrate that success so mm-hmm. what should we do should we do a happy dance should we go and get an ice cream <laughs> cone so celebrating bravery reading books about bravery and talking about times in your life where you've needed to be brave I think are some really important things the other thing that's important is acknowledging feelings so um, never trying to talk kids out of of being afraid or of feeling conflict or feeling stressed in a particular situation Situation, they're going to feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. They're responsible for how they handle that feeling. Mm-hmm. But trying to take your adult, you know, experiences and and apply it to something that's really important for your kid, such as a, you know, a, a first love that they're experiencing that the other person is not um, returning. That's painful, and that's you know, even letting that person know that they have strong feelings for them. They may be very fearful in that situation. So as a parent coming in and saying, oh, why are you, there's going to be a million people that you love sometime in your life. A, that's really belittling. B, that's invalidating their feelings. And C, that's not utilizing that as an opportunity to talk about, well, how would you like to handle this situation? What are some opportunities or some options? I know as a parent, sometimes I feel like I want to rush into that situation and problem solve for them. A couple of things that can occur when I do that first of all it it gives the message that I don't believe that you have problem-solving capability I as the adult is really the only person in that situation that can solve this and B it doesn't allow them to start thinking outside the box and apply that growth mindset to say all right, these are the things I've learned so far in my life. What can I take from those experiences and apply in this new situation? What can I do um, that may be a little different or a little bit, require a little bit of bravery to, to go through that particular situation? So asking them, and the key point is after they've calmed down. So in some of these situations, you see kids really kind of, Having a strong emotional response, we call them big feelings. I have a seven-year-old and a <laughs> yes. nine-year-old, and we have big feelings in my household. And you're allowed to have big feelings. You can't scream or destroy things or uh, slam doors, etc. But you can you can feel what you feel. Mm-hmm. So we allow for some time to calm down, so that we can have that logic part of the brain start um, making more choices. And then the ideas, you know, with younger kids, I ask them to put their thinking cap on. So we we make a we make an actual imaginary thinking cap, and we put it on our head, and we talk about some different ways of thinking through the situation and then sometimes we may play act so in conflict resolution for instance I may be the aggressor and the other kid is themselves and they figure out how they'd like to handle me being the aggressor Mm -hmm. and then we flip it so then I play role in their then their role and they can be the other person that
0: they're trying to work through a situation with so So, perspective taking as well absolutely So what I'm hearing is the importance to acknowledge and honor feelings and then take advantage of these moments as teachable moments, uh, but make sure to do that when these kids are calm and those big feelings have calmed down a little bit. As a mother to a two and a half year old, we have many big feelings in our house on a daily, if not hourly basis. So I am very familiar with some big feelings. (laughs) Yep,
1: absolutely. Just wait until she's nine.
0: (laughs) Uh, Let's take a quick break to hear about our sponsors. Thank you to our sponsor, Annapolis Pediatrics. I'm Donna Jefferson, the creator and CEO of Chesapeake Family Life, and I'm happy to tell you that I'm a former patient of Dr. Briscoe, the founder of Annapolis Pediatrics, and both of my kids were seen throughout their childhood by the excellent staff at Annapolis Pediatrics, which started in 1948. They see infants, children, adolescents, and young adults in five locations, Annapolis, Crofton, Edgewater, Severna Park, and Ken Island. And I can tell you from experience that they care as much about the well-being of your entire family, including frazzled moms and dads, as they do about your children. They're there when you need them 24-7. You can find them online at AnnapolisPediatrics.com. Welcome back. We are here with Erin, who is a pediatric nurse practitioner talking about kids and stress. So we've just been talking about normal stress. That's part of developmental stages. And kids are going to go through these different steps as they develop. When do parents need to worry that their kid's behavior is abnormal? And what should parents be looking for?
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. You know, when we think about pathologic um, concerns or, or um, situations in which we may have a, a problem that needs more acute treatment, um, we're really looking at functional impairment. And you know that comes down to difficulty sleeping at night for long periods of time, not just you know a couple of days here and there, Changes in um, behavior, so withdrawn behaviors or overly avoidant behaviors. If we uh, find that there's significant changes in in appetite, um, changes in energy level, no longer enjoying activities that they um, that they typically enjoy, and you know, it the the functional impairment really is the big piece that we're looking for if we're concerned. So, big changes in in friend groups as well may be may be concerning and and worth certainly a conversation with your child.
0: What would the next step be? Is this something that parents should go to their pediatrician about? Is this something that you should seek a specialist for? Is this just like, okay, we need to buckle down as parents and do some research, do some reading? What do you recommend as sort of a next step if you have started to identify these changes in behavior with your child?
1: So definitely um, consulting your pediatrician who has um, kind of been with you already through Thick and Thin. And um, I think bibliotherapy is always um, a Good thing to do as well, and what I mean by that is is looking into some resources, some books that you can read, or even read with your children. You know, while you're waiting for this appointment with your pediatric provider, educating yourself about what may be going on and what your options are. I think your pediatric provider would be a great person to um, help you identify if it's if it's a typically developing fear or worry, or if it really is something that that needs um, additional resources. Always reach out to your kids' teachers um, and the guidance counselors at school as well. They are fantastic um, resources, and they know typical development of kids, too. So they're going to be able to help you identify how are they functioning at school. Is there, Are there con- some concerns? Have they noticed some behavioral changes as well? Coaches, clergy individuals. So whoever's in your kid's sort of trusted group of adults, um, reach out to them and get some more information. Talk with your kids too. Ask them if they think that there's a problem and um, ask them if there's anything that's going on in, in, in their lives. Remember that, that sometimes if kids are in distress, there may be an initial knee-jerk reaction to um, kind of sidearm you and, and tell you, nope, everything's fine. Find some other ways of of asking, you know, and um, if you really are concerned about something, make sure that that you are getting the help that they need and not waiting until um, things have really become problematic.
0: Mm -hmm. What age do these bigger issues often manifest? So if we are talking about anxiety, depression, or maybe even other issues like obsessive compulsive disorder, when are you seeing that happen most often? Or is it really dependent on the child?
1: So it is dependent on the child, um, but I will say that we do see um, a lot of – so our rates of anxiety typically and other – psychopathology, do significantly increase around puberty. Um, So, you know, there's a twofold increase in mood disorders between the ages of 13 and 18. Boys and girls have equal rates of anxiety prior to puberty. And after puberty, girls are two times more likely to have an anxiety disorder. Wow. Recent research um, really suggests that one in three adolescents will meet criteria for an anxiety disorder by the age of 18. That's a
0: huge percentage.
1: Right. And, and I guess the take-home message is that, that there are things that we can do to kind of buffer these and, and strengthen
0: their resilience. All right. Let's, let's talk about that. That's a, since that is such a huge number, the likelihood that your child or at some point your child might experience some of these problems, um, what can we do as parents to, to prevent it? Or, and then my next question would be, okay, once we've identified it, then what?
1: Yeah, I think that first of all, having conversations with our kids. We talked about um, we talked about bravery and talking up bravery. We talked about you know allowing kids to um, to have their big feels um, and not trying to talk them out of it. Um, modeling appropriate stress um, reduction. There are some tools that kids can use to to figure out ways of kind of calming down when they are feeling significantly upset so breathing techniques are fantastic and there's ways to adapt those breathing techniques to different age groups I like for little kids to pretend like they have a big cup of hot chocolate in their hands they bring it up to their nose and they smell the hot chocolate and then they blow on it because it's way too hot and then they smell <laughs> it and then they blow on it our um, our, our school-age kids I like color breathing I'm using their favorite color to breathe in mm. and a color that they view as really Really kind of yucky, and using that to breathe out. Our teenagers may like to do more of a, a number system. So um, I call it seven eleven breathing. Um, so breathing in for a count of seven, while really having their hand on their abdomen and making sure that their abdomen is um, is going is going out for that breath and then hold for a count of three and then out for a count of 11 using visual imagery as well. Um, so using five senses, thinking about a place where they feel very comfortable, like um, being at the beach and, and, when they are at the beach, what are they seeing and hearing and smelling and feeling that can kind of help them um, reestablish kind of a feeling of, of calm. And um, and again, normalizing some of these feelings is important and mm-hmm. letting kids know that you expect that there are going to be struggles and you're always going to be there for them to, to help them problem solve if they need it. The other thing is monitoring what they're seeing and hearing on social media and on the news. Mm -hmm. You know, I always joke my my mom is a therapist in the community. And when I was growing up, she saw teenagers. And one of the the things that she used to like to do is watch shows with us. So I always tell her that she ruined 90210, (laughs) Beverly Hills 90210. So she um, (laughs) would sit with us, and during commercial breaks or even afterwards, she would ask us, Well, what would you do in that situation? How could they have handled that differently? you too, parents, can ruin uh, shows for your kids. But seriously, talking with them about what it is that they're seeing, what questions do they have? They are exposed to a lot more than than we were as kids, um, mm-hmm. as we have a lot more twenty four hour you know uh, news cycles and exposure to social media. So there are, are more pieces of world events that they're being exposed to, and we need to know what our kids are are watching and have conversations with them. And it doesn't stop with one conversation. And you know, if you strike out with one particular way of presenting information, try a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my nine-year-old, we had. Um, you know, some big feels yesterday morning, and um, and I tried, my first, you know, approach was while she was incredibly ticked off to try to figure out what was going on, which that strike one. Second approach, um, when she was in the car with me and a couple of friends, kind of directing my um, observation to the whole group you know, guys, even when we have rough mornings, we can have the rest of the day. Well, that was strike two. So my (laughs) third strike here, my hopefully it won't be a strike. But my third approach tonight is going to be, hey, let's kind of reevaluate what we can do differently. So we don't have rough mornings or we can minimize our rough mornings. So even if you feel like, oh, well, that was a total bust, finding a different way of, Mm -hmm. of talking with your kids.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any recommended resources? So right there, you just listed three different approaches. And as a new parent, I'm like, oh, man, I got to write this down so I can reference it later. Do you have anything that you're really excited about um, that you could be like, oh, yes, I I recommend these to help provide tools for parents to help de-stress their kids?
1: Absolutely. I have a wonderful website that I, that I talk about a lot. Um, It's called anxietycanada.com and they have apps that you can use that, um, that apply um, different ways of, of dealing with different situations. So older teens can download the app and um, apply different situations. It's sort of like a, um, you know, a mobile um, cognitive behavioral therapy tool. It's really great. And there's a lot of resources there for parents. For little kids, I love the books by Don Huebner. Um, one of the books is What to Do When You Worry Too Much. And it's kind of an illustrated coloring book um, that you can do with your kids. So that's really, I would say the intended audience is um, kids between the ages of um, five to eight, um, sometimes um mm-hmm. Slightly older kids will enjoy it as well. For adolescent girls, I love anything by um, by Lisa DeMoor. She has a book called Unwind that um, I think came out about, I don't know, maybe six years ago. Um, and her new book, um, Under Pressure, is fantastic as well. Um, but I really... Encourage parents to um, pick up books, um, look at websites, you know, encourage educating yourself about about different ways of handling stress, um, both for yourself so that maybe you have a different way of, of handling stress, but also uh, for your kids.
0: Definitely. Why are we talking about this today? As a teacher, I feel like I have seen this a lot more throughout the recent years compared to when I started teaching, um, and I see it both in little kids, elementary school kids, even preschool kids, and I see it in high school kids. So, why do you think why do you think that is? And is that something that you're seeing in your practice as well?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, we are definitely seeing a lot more um, stress really on the pediatric um, primary care side of things, um, kind of manifesting in somatic symptoms. So that's headaches, chronic abdominal pain without a specific source, and school avoidance and things like that. I I think it's it's probably multifactorial. Um, so, you know, I mentioned before social media. There's mm-hmm. um, just a, a sense of you know not being able to escape other people's opinions. And again, if you if you take it back to developmental steps, our middle schoolers who are identifying and really trying to figure out who they are are constantly getting inundated by everybody's opinions right. about who they are. That's unfair. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, if there was somebody in middle school who was being a jerk. All I had to do was walk home and I was in a very safe place. I didn't have to think about or or process what that jerk kind of thought about me. Um, Nowadays, it it follows you home through social media. So I, I think... You know there are ways that we can use social media in a positive way, but it, it we have to remember the developmental step and the vulnerabilities that are occurring um, because of those developmental steps. I think as well, we as parents are really inundated with with current events from around the world. So we're constantly getting information about what's happening all over the place. That's raising our Um, stress levels as adults. And I think that uh, from a a nurture standpoint, we are perhaps projecting some of that stress on our kids. Absolutely. There's also increase in in, um, academic standards and academic um, expectations for kids. Um, There's some good research to support that things that are, we're expecting our elementary school students to do, we're, we're, you know, developmentally mentally appropriate for older kids. Um, and so there's a, a real sense, not only with academics, but athletics as well, that there's just a m- much more of a prevalent drive towards perfection. Um, And that can be kind of concerning. So again, I I don't know that you can boil it down to one or two things. I think that stress is, and and anxiety disorders um, are increasing. Um, But again, taking it back to the good news, there are things that we can do to kind of buffer and Mm -hmm. um, and provide some tools because stress is unavoidable and Mm -hmm. um, and it's an important part of of functioning if you don't care at all about your math test you're not going to study for (laughs) it right if you care enough to study for it um, then you will do better. If you care too much and get completely stressed out, then it's much more difficult to, um, to study. So there is a fine balance between figuring out how to keep stress in a motivating level uh, versus an inhibiting level. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much to Erin for coming and talking to us today. And a big thank you to Annapolis Pediatrics for sponsoring this episode of Third Floor Views. We love to hear your thoughts, comments and questions. If you enjoyed what you heard today, check out more at thirdfloorviews.com. I'm Jenna Jefferson. This is Third Floor Views. Thank you for listening.